podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Overt Sandvik. Overt is a senior policy advisor for the Liberal Party in Norway and currently a visiting fellow at the George Washington University. And after our conversation, I'll introduce you to some of the events organized by ELF during this month of July. here with Overt Sandvik. Overt, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And before we delve into the topic of our conversation today, and that is to talk a little bit about Lord Roth Darendorf, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. So how did you get to the point where you are right now, including how did you get to George Washington University? Sure. So I was kind of a political and historical animal, I guess, ever since I was a kid. Um, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time reading and rereading all these historical encyclopedias. And I think my board, my, my primary school teachers to death with my really poor analysis of the um, Clinton Dole campaign uh, in the 90s. So that was kind of my... but my realization that actually politics was something I was really interested in. Um, after I finished school, I wanted to do something completely different. So I went down to South Africa, where I did my bachelor's degree in international studies, because I figured if you're going to do something as generic as international studies, you better do it somewhere interesting. I went from there up to Germany, uh, spent three years in Germany before uh, studying political science, did my magister in Heidelberg uh, before I came to Brussels, where I landed my first job with the host of uh, actually this podcast the European Liberal Forum. Uh, since then, I worked for about five years in Brussels, first for the European Liberal Forum, then for Nauman Foundation, another ELF member organization. And then I was finally sort of hijacked back to my home country, Norway, where I've been working for the last couple of years as a policy advisor, now focusing on foreign affairs and defense. And uh, fortunately, every year there's this fellowship that is... Um, made available to the different political parties in the Norwegian parliament uh, to spend a few months in Washington, D.C., do some work on Capitol Hill, and also uh, take up a position as a visiting fellow at George Washington University. And I was lucky enough to get that fellowship. Well, I'm sure there was more than luck. There's got to be some talent involved in this. And my goodness, you've been everywhere. You've been to South Africa, you've been to Europe, now you're in the United States. Uh, of course, this is an easy question to answer, but how do you tell us how much that, all that experience, and particularly that fantastic multicultural experience, how that affects your vision? You know, I guess it must affect me quite a lot, but honestly, uh, I can't say that I went into it having some kind of a master plan as to what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be challenged and I always wanted to put myself in new positions. And I realized uh, from a fairly early age on that uh, I learned the most about myself if I was in an international environment where I was forced to kind of check my own uh, stereotypes and prejudices. So I think that's been a good experience for me. That was also part of the reason why I decided I wanted to go to DC now as well, is that I'd been home for a couple of years and I felt that sort of urge to go out and, and see the world again. <laughs> Start getting bored in Norway? Yeah. Was that what, what happened? And Norway is a wonderful country, by the way, but uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, I should add that. No disrespect to Norway. I was just kidding. <laughs> and um, one, one last question on that. And sure. how does that affect your liberalism then? 
Uh, so that's an interesting question because I think, uh, especially having worked for Elf, really affected the, my outlook on liberalism. I probably have a bit more of a theoretical outlook on liberalism than maybe a lot of other folks who are working in the different national parliaments and who are working on day-to-day um, politics. I think also having been exposed to sort of the, the huge range of uh, liberal, different liberal parties uh, from the right of center to the left of center and back again uh, means that... I, I might be a bit, uh, sometimes a bit confused in it because I've been so many of these ideas. <laughs> aren't we all? Like aren't we all? Yeah, but uh, I, I think at least I, I bring uh, a broad understanding of uh, what what being a liberal can mean and should mean. Well, absolutely. Especially, I'm, I'm very interested about the part of South Africa. And uh, there's a lot of work being done with some European organizations now in Africa. Uh, something maybe to have you back on the podcast and we can talk about that a little more. Sure, but yeah. getting, back to, getting back to the liberalism and to the European Liberal Forum, you were a program officer for some time. Can you tell us a little bit how that was? Yeah, so I can tell you the really funny story of how I started there, because I think this is a situation a lot of people can recognize. I was just uh, finishing up my last exams in Heidelberg, and I was looking for a job at that time. Uh, you know, I had done some internships and uh, had a little bit of experience, but not too much. And I was lucky enough to uh, get this uh, first an internship with ELF and then a permanent position with ELF, uh, basically because I got rejected by the youth organization, LIMEC. Now, I know that you had LIMEC on the podcast <laughs> before, so I'll tell you the story about this. Uh, sure. I was interviewing for an internship with uh, with Limec, which would have been for a few months, and then I would have would have gone back. Didn't get that, but then the Limec Secretary General at the time recommended me for Elf, and I got that internship. And during that internship, I had the job of writing a, a new description for a new position that they were opening up. So I basically got a chance to write my own job description. Uh, I was able to move into to that job, and. It was a really fantastic way of getting into politics, I think, because, uh, as I said, you you still have you have a chance to meet all these politicians who are working on in sort of the day to day grind, and uh, you get exposed to everything that's going on in European Parliament. But at the same time, you have this like this rooting in uh, liberal theory and all these authors, and uh, it was a fantastic time. You know, you in your first job, you're always ending up doing very basic uh, tasks. They're just this possibility to be around so many wonderful people and, and uh, to listen to so many good discussions has been a wonderful enrichment to my life. So the loss of Limec was the win for Elf and yeah, in the end it balanced. For <laughs> and for else. you, exactly. So things do find a way to get balanced in the end. The cosmos is very good on that. Perfect. Now, uh, moving on a little more to the topic of our conversation today and the reason why I asked you to come to the to our podcast, and that is, it was through ELF, through the time you spent there, that you get acquainted with the work done by Lord Darendorf, and um, that started for you a new journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I... I probably should be kind of embarrassed the fact that I spent three years in uh, Germany and wasn't that exposed to Darndorf's ideas because he was German, of course, and he, he spent a great deal of his uh, professional time and, and uh, really growing up in Germany. Uh, but I think his academic work was much more centered around his uh, British experience. In any case, I wasn't really introduced to him in Heidelberg, but when I came to the European Liberal Forum, they had this roundtable series, which was, I think, fairly new at that time, which was called the Ralf Darndorf Roundtable Series. And, uh, you you know, I started working on this on very basic sort of conceptualizing events and inviting speakers and things. And we were looking into 
what does a high stand of uh, how does a high stand of roundtable differ from a different kind of a roundtable uh, or a different kind of event altogether? And I started looking into this personality, and the more I read about him, the more I I felt like uh, you know this guy really had a lot of things figured out, and. What I like to stress, I think a lot of people are interested in Dandoff as a, you know, sociologist, a political theorist, um, perhaps for his political work. I'm interested in kind of the personal qualities that he brought to politics, and, and uh, that's the thing that really inspires me. He was a very sort of honest and direct uh, politician who wasn't afraid to speak his cause even in sort of uh, to an audience that wouldn't agree with him. He was somebody who uh, dared to be critical of his own party, his own uh, sort of established ideas. And, and I thought that was very inspiring. And you mentioned that you have a picture of him in your office yeah. uh, in a moment of intense discussion. But then... A little later, oh, and by the way, let's uh, mention that right from the top, and that is Hovard has a fantastic piece that uh, anyone that is listening to this podcast should go and check it out on liberalforum.eu slash blogs, and then look for Harvard Senfvig, Hovard Senfvig um, blog post on how the European Liberal Forum introduced me to Rolf Darendorf, which is the basis for today's conversation. But getting back to you, Hovard, and that is, you mentioned that you have a picture of him on a moment of intense discussion, but not, not long after that, you also mentioned that him, meaning Rolf Darendorf, treated student, students uh, with a lot of respect. So there's this kind of uh, uh, confrontation here of emotions, having an intense and fiery discussion, but at the same time being very respectful to concerns. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. So first of all, I guess, you know, outing myself as someone who has a portrait of Clef Dandov in my office probably just increases my geek factor exponentially, but I did it anyway <laughs> because I think it's a, it's a useful point to make. And he, he actually has been, a, he has actually been a very good inspiration for me in my daily job. I work as a policy advisor uh, focusing on foreign affairs and, and defense now, but I was working on other fields in the past uh, and I've been sort of intimately involved with you know, national budgeting with uh, certain national reforms that we've had in Norway. And he's always been an inspiration for me. And that's why he, uh, his picture was the one that uh, I decided to have uh, hanging in my office to go with some lands landscape uh, portraits and things like that. And the reason why I chose that specific photo is because that's where sort of Dandorf gets his long-term and maybe broader visibility in Germany, because this is 1968, there are uh, student uprisings uh, in Germany and France, uh, really throughout uh, a lot of countries in, in Western Europe. And uh, Darendorf and the rest of the FTP is at this uh, big party com uh, conference where they, uh, in Freiburg in Germany, where they pass a really legendary um, political program, uh, where for the first time they sort of, they move in more of a social liberal direction. They focus much more on the environment that they have ever had in the past and so on. But still, there are these demonstrations outside the, uh, the party congress. There are students who are just kind of fed up with the old way of doing uh, politics and with the, the still kind of uh, paternalistic style of at least the, the the broad parties and indeed, you know, certain uh, 
perhaps certain segments of the FTP as well at that time. Uh, the students are out there, they're making a lot of ruckus. Uh, people are kind of, the, the other politicians are kind of anxious to go, if they want to go out and speak to them, they're not sure if they want to encourage this kind of, you know, uh, loud protest. But Darnov mm -hmm. says, you know what, I'll go speak to them. So he goes out and, and there's this really iconic photo. It's a, it's a pity that Elf hasn't used that photo to go together with the blog, because, but you can look up the photo and he, if you search for Ralph Darnov on Google, you'll probably find it. And you'll see Darnov just on the top of this car <laughs> together with Woody Dutschke, who was this very famous uh, left-wing protester who uh, was later um, shot and, and injured by a right-wing activist in Germany, a very important uh, person in German history himself, Woody Dutschke. But these two guys are then sitting on top of this car having this discussion with cameras and microphones and just in a sea of young people. Uh, and you can find some clips of those uh, discussions on YouTube as well. And it's just interesting to watch you know, someone in Danov's position. He was already a very sort of well-established academic. He was, uh, I think, already in that time, a regional uh, political actor. He was about to go into uh, federal politics where he would become European commissioner. But here he is speaking to students and he's not taking this kind of a paternalistic uh, looking down at your your nose sort of attitude. He is taking them seriously. He's addressing them and speaking to them uh, in a way that I think earned him the respect, even though they fundamentally disagreed on a whole host of issues. I, I think that's what's so inspiring with him. So whenever I uh, face these kind of uh, difficult political discussions in Norway, where we, we feel like, you know, maybe it would be more comfortable personally to just kind of say, we made the decision, now we hide away and we're not going to go out and, and face the critics. To, to always remember that if Darndorf was in that position, he would have gone out and he would have faced the critics and he would have had that discussion. So I, I think that's why he's so inspiring to me. That's a great point. Well, first, let me tell you that uh, you get points in this podcast for geekiness. Yeah. So don't worry about that. And the other thing is that, and this has been interesting because as we're recording this podcast, I had already a couple of conversations and they're online. And one thing that comes up regularly, and that is the proximity with people. And exactly as you mentioned, being able to face them honestly and say, this is my opinion. We may you know, have different takes on things, but this is what I want to tell you. And so for what you just described, uh, Lord Tarendorf was a beacon on that. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when it comes to this, uh, it's true later in life, he was a, uh, a strong supporter of academic freedom. And he described he worked both uh, at the University of Oxford and at the LSE. And he describes his, his job at both uh, universities as, as protecting the academic freedom sphere. And uh, so but I think that goes really well hand in hand with the way that he spoke to and addressed those students uh, back in Freiburg in 1968. All right, I'm going to stay with that because you also mentioned that he helped define freedom and also freedom for European liberalism. What did you mean by that? Do you want to elaborate a little more? Sure. So, I've, as I say, I've been very inspired by the personality of Ralf Dandorf, but I'm also inspired by the way that he combined uh, politics and academics. You can see interviews with him and he's saying, well, you know, I try to keep these spheres very separate and they're not the same and everything else. But I feel that uh, one thing that distinguishes him from other political theorists is that he had that sort of luggage coming with him as a practical politician. And he understood that he uh, was someone who dared to, to look critically at the, the terminology of freedom and to look at what freedom means to not 
just in terms of negative freedoms, you know, freedom um, uh, from, but but also freedoms mm -hmm. to. And, uh, yes, positive freedom. Exactly. And the ideas of uh, having possibilities, opportunities, in Germany you call them Chancen, uh, right? The, the opportunity to do this or to do that and to uh, have social mobility as a really central uh, tenant of, of liberalism is something that uh, he inspired me with. And I think it's been something that's stuck with uh European liberals as a whole, our, our emphasis on social mobility, on, you know, education as maybe the most important tool in achieving that uh, has, has been there with our European liberal family. And uh, I think Dandorf has, has a role to play in, in that uh, heritage. Hovard, this is very interesting. And I'm going to veer a little bit from the, our conversation, but I would love to take have your take on this, especially now that you're in the United States. Um, me also being from academia and being a liberal and being a, a big defendant of free speech. Uh, what's your opinion on what, what we've been seeing from the United States lately? And that is deplatforming people, uh, shouting down people, having people uh, not being welcome to universities to speak. Do you have a sense, especially now that you, you're there in the United States, what's going on? Is this just a, a thing of the moment? Do you think it's here to stay? What's, what's your ideas on that? I, I think it looks very different from campus to campus. So I'm not going to say that my uh, very limited time here at George Washington University is representative to, to everything that's going on in the U.S. And I was perhaps expecting a bit more of it than what I've seen at this university so far. The interesting thing about George Washington University is that it was in a way uh, and uh, the Elliott School of uh, Foreign Affairs, which is where I'm, I'm based, is that they were established really to give uh, people who were sort of already in their career, into their career, working uh, the chance to continue to pursue studies. So, the, you know, classes are later. Uh, there's a there's a bigger variety of students, you know, from the very young to, to people my age and, and uh, even older. Uh, so it's maybe a bit of a different crowd. What I have noticed is that sometimes students... I I'm able to audit some classes here, so I go to, to classes uh, in international relations, but also to some uh, history classes, and what uh, struck me is the fact that some of the students are a little bit scared of expressing political opinions. So, hmm. you know, before they, they say anything, they will qualify by, by saying, I'm sorry if I get too political in this, but I would like to say this and this and this. Hmm. Um, I can thinking back to my time both in, in Germany and in uh, South Africa I don't think I've ever seen something like that and that's a puzzling thing and then there's you know this this kind of the basic American emphasis on politeness is also means that academic culture here uh, is a little bit different than uh, the style that was in uh, Germany so I remember that you know while in Germany we had professors who uh, were very blunt and straight up in what they said to, in their feedback to their students saying you know that's not a good idea at all, you missed the point entirely, or something like that, and, and we kind of got used to that that form of speech. Uh, while uh, here, every uh, every professor's response is, oh, that's a good point, but you know, maybe there's this or that, and, and uh, that makes for, for some difference. So I, I think that, and that's been there way before this whole discussion about, uh, you know, safe spaces and all, all the rest of it. But yeah. It's a fascinating point, because I as you were saying that the United States did try to be, um, you know, polite. And I'm thinking about, for example, the British, which have such a tremendous, vibrant uh, discussion at the university level. And there couldn't be any more polite people from the British. <laughs> maybe, maybe, 
So again, this will be an awesome conversation for us to have on a, on a second podcast. But now let's get back to Lord Derendorf. One thing also that you mentioned is he, he was a fearless critic of his colleagues, if necessary. And in a, in a, in a strange way, he connects to what we just talked about. Um, and that is, do you think that we're losing that on uh, now? And that is also the ability to be critical to other liberals and say that is not, you know, that is not the best way to, you know, express your ideas or to propose solutions. So, are, are we losing a little bit of that? Should we study more the work of Darendorf? I would actually say that we're pretty good at that. And that's one of the things that always impressed me with the European liberal family, as opposed to maybe the, the socialists or the conservatives and the way that they discuss at a European level is this uh, willingness to take those debates and to recognize that we are different and that we have different views. Uh, that's why the discussion among liberals was usually pretty vibrant in, in my opinion and the way uh, my experience uh, over the years that have passed. We've been pretty, pretty good at keeping that up. And I see, you know, Today, now that we have this new uh, group in the European Parliament, is a very diverse group. Um, and so with that, I think, comes the continued need for, for further open discussions in the tradition of Ralf uh, Dahendorf. And I think the, the diversity in that group uh, really uh, makes that possible in the years to come. And you, being a student of uh, Lord Dahrendorf's work, do you have a message on that? Do you have also a, a concrete idea what should be the path that we should take? I mean, you know, and now I will do what most Americans say, and I will say I'm sorry for getting political, but here I would uh, <laughs> Please make do. the point that... Uh, here I would make the point that uh, Dandoff's political message of the opportunities, uh, positive freedoms, uh, focus on education and social mobility is what should and could uh, unite us as, uh, as liberals. One thing that I find interesting with Dandorf as well is that he, a lot of people, because he was, you know, European commissioner and all the rest of it, take him as kind of a classical Europhile, but he was pretty critical of uh, European integration in the sense that he saw a lot more power being shifted towards bureaucracies. And that's something that uh, we as uh, liberals should be critical of. And I think that's the vein that we should uh, keep up, not just to say, what do we want Europe to do? Or what do we want Europe not to do as well? So I, He's got a lot of uh, good lessons to, to be learned, but I think, uh, you know, it's a big con uh, continent, it's a diverse continent, and it's important that uh, different liberals come up with uh, answers that are relevant to, to their political uh, situation. And I think that's also what uh, Dandov shows, because he was a uh, theorist who was also able to see the practical side of politics. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the things, and you work on that, that connects uh, Lord, Ra Lord uh, Darendorf and ELF, and that is the Rolf Darendorf Roundtables, undoubtedly one of the most successful programs that ELF has uh, nowadays, and the name says it all, and that is it's a roundtable. So, in your opinion, um, this is the main focus, should be the main focus, and that is that discussion, that openness to have a debate. Yeah, so uh, this uh, format has existed for years, and I think there have been many events that have been a roundtable in name only. Uh, I think that's a great <laughs> pity, actually, because I think the, the format, the actual roundtable, sitting around a roundtable and discussing, could be a square table for that matter as well, but the, the fact that they're all sitting around uh, a table is actually something very valuable. And the fact that these are not these big kind of lecture uh, style events, but these are events where you have the speakers 
and right next to them there could be some ordinary citizen. Uh, we had these debates when I was still working for the European Liberal Forum. We had a big focus on uh, this uh, transatlantic uh, trade and investment uh, agreement that uh, the US and the EU were trying to negotiate and work out, uh, as we know now. Uh, but at the time, there was a big focus on it in, in Europe, and we were traveling around Europe having these discussions, and I thought it was spectacular to have these European decision makers sitting right next to people who had otherwise just kind of discussed this in uh, anonymous discussion fora on the internet and who were very critical and very skeptical of uh, transatlantic trade just because and and the motives behind the politicians who were advocating for it just because they'd never met they'd never had this discussion and so uh, having these roundtables and giving those uh, citizens a chance to interact directly with the politicians something that i've always valued and i think it's fantastic that elf has uh, decided to keep on the name of uh, ralf dandorf uh, to to honor him in the setting of that roundtable series yeah it could just be the thing that adding a new perspective and have a politicians going like oh i never thought about that that way well Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> You're in Brussels and I am whatever place uh, those people come from. Now, we're coming to the end of our conversation, but I have to ask you um, one more about the Rolf Darndorf roundtables, and that is how can we make then all these examples that you study uh, so uh, deeply and so well, how can we use even more experience from uh, Darndorf's work to improve this discussion around the table? Either it's rectangular, uh, round, triangular, that, that doesn't matter. I think the important thing is to uh, not be scared of entering into new arenas and to talking to new audiences. Um, as I said, uh, you know, working with politics, we're also just human beings and uh, we uh, are not always happy to be in conflicts. And so we perhaps naturally seek out audiences that tend to agree with us a little bit more, that uh, fit into our kind of social milieu and, and all the rest of it. I think we uh, could do well to uh, reach out to other audiences, to go to places where there are more critical voices and maybe to partner up with uh, organizations that don't agree with us. And I remember when I used to work for the European Liberal Forum, we had a lot of discussions, liberals to liberals, and I found that fun. Fantastic. As I said, there's a lot of diversity within the, the liberal groups as well. But I would be very happy to see, you know, uh, there are a whole host of different um, political foundations at the European level and to see them partnering more and to take those discussions out uh, to the audiences of Europe, because I think it's fantastic if we can show audiences that it's possible to have a respectful, decent direct political dialogue, even when you're at, you know, diametrically opposing sides of uh, the, the political spectrum in Europe and to show them that there are real choices in Europe. Uh, and I think liberalism will come out strengthened through that as well, because after all, we have the best ideas. Yes, and an increased polarized uh, world, especially on political level, your uh, your points are very, uh, very important, very well taken. Wonderful. I'm going to ask you now if you want to leave uh, one last message to our listeners. So I think, you know, it's just fantastic that you've caught an interest in Ralf Dahndorf. Hope I haven't bored you all too much with it. Don't You don't need to go out and buy yourself a portrait of Ralf Dahndorf to hang in your office, but maybe you want to pick up a book about him or you want to check out his debates, uh, his interviews that are on YouTube, you know, in English or in German, whatever uh, floats your boat. And uh, hopefully to get a bit inspired by him in the same way that I have.
I will have you back, if you don't mind, Howard, so we can continue this conversation because some uh, points we're here really interested in, they deserve us to uh, go deeper a little more. But for now, I'm going to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. I'm back, and before we go into Elf's event for this month, let me tell you that you can follow us now on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And if you like this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review, and in that way, help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. Now for the events organized by Elf for the end of this month, July, and also beginning of August, on the 26th and the 28th of July in Sarajevo, Bosnia-Herzegovina, we have a panel discussion called Building Your Europe Together. This event is organized by LIMEC and by ELF, and the idea is to gather young visionaries to discuss the future of Europe. Also in this event, there will be a comparison of different ideas for reforming the European Union and the different future of Europe scenarios the ideas for more or less, bigger or smaller, European Union. And then from the 2nd to the 4th of August in Warsaw, Poland, we have the event and book of storytelling. This will be a three-day workshop facilitated by professional trainers from three liberal organizations and also experts in the field of campaigning and storytelling. The project will target liberal organizations and communications officers in Poland. This is all for now, but I will be back with more podcasts soon. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast is organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament. And the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>